cute video, right? And it's funny, it's funny, and then you get to that one moment that just has all the feels. If you know, like, that one, like, she's my savior. I'm like, oh, it's so cute. Anyway, um, yeah, merchandise. It's not about the merchandise this Christmas season, is it? Last week, we started uh, a new Christmas series, and it's called, um, voila, Searching for a Savior. And it's called Searching for a Savior because we need to rediscover, to seek out and find that joy that is Jesus this Christmas season. And many of us look for hope, and we hunt for answers in all the wrong places. But Christmas time has this wonderful ability to somehow bring us back to remembrance of where and who our hope and our answers can be found. And in order for some of those hopes and answers to make sense, we went back in time last week. You guys remember the really cool switchy sound effects and the 22-second time-lapse video that really took us back in time? How far back in time did we go? You remember? 400 years. That's right. 400 years we went back in time to, remember the book? Malachi. Taking a second. That's right. Just let it sink in. Maybe you need to go back and, and um, maybe I just need to pull back last week's message. Again, we can do that all over again. So, but yeah, we went back to Malachi, went back 400 years, because when you turn that page back from Matthew, back into the book of Malachi, there's that 400-year gap of just, where is God, is what the Israelites are saying. But in that prophecy of Malachi, we learned about two important things. And the first one was that there is a, what, a messenger who will prepare the way, and there is a messenger of the covenant. There's a messenger of the covenant. And I just want to read this again. This is Malachi chapter 3, it's verses 1 through 5. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. Like when things used to be with Israelites, with the people of God and God, that connection, that's how they're going to be again. And then even more so. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So that was the prophecy from 400 years ago um, before where we're going to be looking at uh, in the Gospels and Luke specifically today. But the messenger who will prepare the way was referring to John, the son of Zechariah. We know him better today as John the Baptist, of course. We'll be taking a little more time to learn about um, how John came about uh, this morning. To recap, what you need to know is that for later on down the road, John the Baptist went around proclaiming and foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. And he had followers, some of whom even thought he was the Messiah, but he told them a few different times, hey, it's not me. I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm the one preparing the way for that guy. And that Christ was Jesus. And to top it off, we looked at how that prophecy, even if it was taken literally, how cool it actually is. Now remember, the early church was called the way. 
That's what the early church was called. And you can read about that more in Acts chapter 22. But after what Jesus said, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. And so again, the early church was called the way. And you can, um, again, if you want some homework, Acts chapter 22. But even if there was a disbelief in your brain about the interpretation of that prophecy, we can even take it word for word literally. That it's not just a messenger who's going to come to prepare the path or a road, but a messenger who will prepare the way. And I'm coming to get the church ready. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. He would prepare the world to meet the Savior and become the church. And the messenger of the covenant then, so we have to have these messenger who prepare the way and then the messenger of the covenant. The messenger of the covenant is obviously Jesus, who made a new covenant with the disciples and in turn with us when they shared communion. That's why we have the Lord's Supper often to remind ourselves of that new covenant he came to make. Now, the other major idea that we learned last week is that there is always this parallel thing happening throughout Scripture. And we talked about how I'm really excited for Star Wars. Maybe some of you are too. We're counting down five days. It's here. It's ready. There's a new masked man. Who is he? I think it's Luke, actually. We'll see if that, how that happens. Um, huh? Yeah? Yeah, I, I think... I think, I think, merchandise, merchandise, right. But we have this balance in the force if you're a Star Wars nerd and just you're really happy about, oh, I can relate to that. I know what he's talking about now. Some of that other stuff in 400 years and prophecies, no. Star Wars, I get that. So we can talk about that. Um, but we have this balance of and Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan. So this balance of the good and the bad, the dark side and the... Yeah, Obi- he really doesn't. No, Obi-Wan's just like, I'm old. Um, and it really can't, you know, cut off my head, and he's out in the first movie, and then he comes back as, ooh, ghost later. But so we have these balance of these, these two sides, and we're not sure if that relates to anything else. And it does, because it's here in Scripture, and that's the thing, the other big key component that we learned last week is that there's a balance of prophet and priest throughout the Old and the New Testament, where you have one, you have the other, prophet and priest. And not that one's the dark side. Don't think of it that way. And one's the light, like, boo, prophets, yay, priests. It's not that way. But there's this balance where everything equals out. Now, when Moses and Aaron led the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses was the prophet. Okay, Moses was the, oh, there we go. All right, where are we? And Aaron was the priest. Now, Aaron's descendants remained the priests, even when they fell away from, from God. But without one, you can't have the other. So we have these 400 years of just what's going on because no godly prophets, no godly priests, guess what? No connection to God. Remember, this is before Jesus. Now, we have that connection now through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. But back then, they had to do different things. But that's why Jesus came to make a new heaven, new earth, new covenant. So Israel had this puppet king, we talked about him a little bit, installed by Julius Caesar, who was named Antipater. Now, Antipater was the descendant of Esau. If you go back and uh, listen to last week, it'll go into detail. Now, Antipater had two sons, one of whom became King Herod. And he wasn't of the kingly line of Jacob, of David, and of Solomon. He was of the kind of subservient line of Jacob's demoted brother, Esau. Remember big, hairy, muscle man dude? And we have sweet little in the tents, Jacob, right? But Jacob became power, right? He ended up pulling up his big boy pants later. And so that's the line where all the kings came from. But you can learn, again, more about that from last week. 
But for today, we're going to move on. So we're finally picking up this story in Luke, and now we know why Herod is in place and how that came about. And we know about this 400-year time gap and why that happened and why there are priests and why there are prophets. So by the time we finally pick up this story in Luke, Julius Caesar is dead, the guy who put in Antipater, and his successor, originally named Gaius Octavius, renames himself as the first emperor of Rome as Caesar Augustus. He changes his name. And that's why in Luke chapter 2 it says, in those days Caesar Augustus issued the decree that a census should be taken. So we had this accurate timeline of when things are happening. So he wants to census, and Joseph and his pregnant virgin wife Mary have to leave Nazareth where they're at and go down to Bethlehem, the town of David, because Joseph is of the house and of the line of, da- of, of David, going all the way back to Jacob. So this sets up our Christmas story, but we're not there yet. Just like last week, we have to go back in time. Yes, but good news. Just back a page, so no swishy sound effects, no really cool time-lapse video, or the need for air sickness bags. Win. So we're good, all right? You just blew my mind. Forward time machine. Who makes that? It's back to the future. Yeah, but they went back. Yeah, but once you go back, then you have to go back. See? Then it's confusing. Because my other self, who I've met in the future, came and told me last night. So, a pair of ducks? I'm just kidding. All right, so we're not Christmas yet. We're still searching. Excuse, sorry, side conversation. James, shh, 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 down boy. Um, and we need to have that mindset of waiting and of hoping, just like the Israelites, that Christ will come. Now, for the Israelites, that balance of prophet and priest is about to happen for the first time in hundreds of years, but they don't know it yet. And maybe it's the first time in a long time for us that that balance or this awakening is going to happen for you and for me. Now, John the Baptist, the prophet, and Jesus the priest are about to be born, but both of them are foretold by God. Not just Jesus is foretold in his birth, but also John the Baptist, the prophet as well. And they're foretold through this angel Gabriel. You may have heard about him. He's probably the most famous angel um, that we know of, because he is actually one of only two angels that gets names, so we don't know. So, yay, Gabriel. Um, and we know of him from both the Old and the New Testaments. Now, Gabriel is specifically mentioned in Daniel chapters 8 and 9, fun fact, and also here in the story of John the Baptist and of Jesus. So we're going to look at two stories this morning, two stories that have a lot in common, a lot in common, and one big difference. Both of these stories involve Gabriel, and neither actually, which might blow your mind, or like you're on Christmas, involve a baby Jesus yet. Not yet. You're like, oh, but it's Christmas time. Not yet. We're, remember, we're, we're waiting, and we're hoping, and we're searching for a Savior. So Gabriel will make a little more sense for us if we understand one key fact. Gabriel goes around scaring people. You want to know a little bit about Gabriel? He goes around scaring people. But anytime Gabriel shows up, it's awesome news. It's the revelation or a vision or wisdom or insight or great, great news. Now in Daniel chapter 8 verse 17, he says that he saw Gabriel coming near him and he was terrified and fell prostrate. You're like, he fell on his what? No, not prostate, prostrate. He fell flat on the ground, okay? Now when Zechariah sees Gabriel, he's startled and gripped with fear, it says. But Gabriel says, 
guess what? Do not be afraid. Now Gabriel appears to Mary six months later and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But guess what? Mary is troubled at his words and wonders, okay, what's going on here? So Gabriel again says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And I feel kind of bad for Gabriel because wherever he shows up, people are just like, ah! We have this fear going on when Gabriel shows up. He's like, sorry, sorry, it's just me, angel of God. Do not be afraid. This is how I look, or this is how I sound, or this is how I appeared, and all that kind of stuff. Then he shows up for someone else. like, ah! And it's Gabriel again. And he gets totally scared. And he's like, whoa, sorry, sorry, it's okay. It's just me again. I'm an angel of the Lord. Okay, and then he shows up again. He's like, ah, like enough. Okay, I get it. You know, I'm I'm Gabriel. I'm pretty big and scary. We can't blame him for being the angel of the Lord, but he probably can't help it. I mean, he's an angel of the Lord. Try keeping that subtle. I don't I don't know. Maybe he he can or can or just has fun choosing not to. The bonus again is that anytime Gabriel shows up, he's bringing what awesome news, glad tidings an explanation of vision or wisdom and insight, and the births of arguably the two most important people in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if not the whole New Testament. So that's Gabriel. Scary entrance, fantastic message, awesome message. So now that we know a little bit more about Gabriel, our scripture passages for today will hopefully make a little bit more sense. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. This is the first of our two stories. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So, also, so we know both of them are of that priestly line from Aaron that we talked about. Both of them were upright In the sight of God, finally, after 400 years, someone, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is Gabriel, we'll find out in a second. But an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and what? Gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord, and the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make a ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. 
And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Why he been there so long? What he doing? Right? Finally, he comes out, but he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I don't know how you describe, you know, maybe a giant pictionary thing and drawing things out. Angel wingelings kind of come down here and all that kind of stuff. Um, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And that's again the first of our two stories this morning. I want you, knowing this, to be checking for some similarities and one key difference with the next story. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Oh, no one turned their pages. We're in the same place. Okay. Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick up actually in verse 26, right where we left off. Here's our second of our two stories. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So there's a lot going on in these two stories. But they are key for us this Christmas season because of the two messengers that were prophesied in Malachi, remember? The messenger who will prepare the way and the messenger of the covenant. Plus, we have to have that balance of prophet and also of priest. So if Jesus is to come as the high priest, the balance then has to be there also with the prophet. And also, what good is a prophet without anyone to prophesy about? Now, it's really easy for us churchy folk to just kind of focus on Jesus this time of year because culture makes it a little bit easier for us, right? But in doing so, we may breeze right past a lot of things happening, prophecies and foretelling coming to fulfillment and to fruition. And for many of us, we want to get right into the angels. Just get right there, yeah. Just right, jump right into the story of angels and, and shepherds and white men and baby Jesus and the manger and a whole zoo of animals that would probably have been downright insane in a first century manger. 
Now we have the nativity set up on the fireplaces or the decorative tables, even in our minds with all the key components, right, of this nativity scene. We got stable, check. Uh, manger, uh, check. Mary and Joseph, check. Anywhere between one and 17 shepherds, check. Three wise men, yes, they're there. Sheep, goats, cows, donkeys, camels, and any other assortment of ceramic animals, check. Angels, check. Baby Jesus, check. Unless you're one of those people that wait until Christmas to put small little ceramic baby Jesus in the manger. And they're like, yes, it's complete. I'm done, right? This is also traditionalized, right? Because if you had a legit, realistic version of the nativity set, it would have Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and like one sheep. Or like maybe you get a goat or two. Because stables in those days were, were usually small caves dug into a hillside that could fit small animals for shelter. It's not this perfect barn setup that we usually think of for a stable, right? You'd get a couple of shepherds, and then you'd have Zechariah, Elizabeth, and baby John the Baptist as well. If you had a legit manger nativity set, that's what it would be. It wouldn't be angels. You know why? Because the angels didn't appear at Jesus' birth that we know of. They appeared to who? The shepherds on the hillside. And the shepherds on the hillside went to find Jesus. There would be no wise men at Jesus' birth on your little nativity set. You know why? Because most likely, Jesus was about a year and a half old by the time the Magi arrived from the east. And we know that from a few different gospels. We'll be talking about some of that later, um, about why that's true. But the wise men aren't wise yet. They're just not here yet. So your nativity setup would look completely different if we actually had it the real way. My point is that we just breeze over John the Baptist. We do. In a rush to get to Jesus through December and through Christmas. But remember, we cannot have one without the other. Now John the Baptist is so important that all four Gospels mention him. Mark and John the first major individual or story is not the birth of Jesus. It's John the Baptist preparing the way. There is no birth of Jesus story recorded in either Mark or in John. Only in Matthew and Luke and most of what we traditionally think of as the Christmas story comes from Luke, the first few chapters. Now, John the Baptist is key to this story. He's like the bouncer in front of Best Buy on Black Friday. Like you just can't get in to get that big screen TV without first getting through this guy, right? And I know, I can hear it now. Your one takeaway is going to be how John the Baptist is the Christmas bouncer, but okay. But going back to these two stories, we have some big, we have some big things in common. Big things in common. Uh, so we need some commonalities here. Uh, Gabriel, ah, all right, both Zechariah and Mary needed reassurance when Gabriel showed up. So that's one similarity. Uh, both the recipients of Gabriel's messages were upright and had favor in the eyes of God. Another similarity. See if you can keep noticing a few others. Uh, both stories have the foretelling of the birth of a son. Both stories. And not just any births, but births that were not supposed to happen. Mary was a virgin. Awkward. right? And then Elizabeth, really, really old. Now think about it. That's such a married man type of comment, isn't it? If you go back and look at what Zechariah said in Luke for, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of that? There's his question. And then he says, I am an old man. Uh, oh, she's a, I can't, she's a woman. Can't tell you exactly. And she's 
well along in years. So we don't know how old they were, but she's not, I'm not going to call my wife old, even in front of Angel Gabriel. Like, that'd just be, well, she's, she's well along in years. She's aged like a fine wine. Um, but I don't see a child happening for us. But that's another similarities. Both stories have rather specific information given by Gabriel. The names of both son, sons of John and of Jesus are given. You catch that? Like, and his name will be. Like, don't think about this name. Ponder it. Put it in your baby's names list. Maybe it's one of your top three. And like, his name will be John. They both start with a y sound. That's right. Oh, back in that day. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, let's see. John and Jesus. And he says what their purpose is going to be. So we got a name. And we also have a purpose of why they're being born. And then also what they're going to do. Well, that's crazy given like, okay, you're going to have a son. He's going to be this old or born now or born when. He's going to have this name. This is his purpose. And these are the things he's going to do. He's like laying out the entirety of their life. That's another similarity. Pretty cool. Also in both stories, Zechariah and Mary ask Gabriel one question. They get like one question. It's not like a genie or a lamp. Just get one thing. No, But they ask just one question. Now, Zechariah asks, um, how can I be sure of this? He asks, how? That's their both ultimate questions. How? Because I'm a virgin, and she's really old. How is this going to happen from Mary's perspective? I'm not. I'm married. That, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but in, in both stories, Zechariah and Mary also give one statement. So we have all these similarities, and then this one difference. I want to read the questions and their statements. So here's the question from Zechariah. How can I be sure of this? Is his question. Mary's question is, how will this be since I am a virgin? But then they give their statement in response. And again, this is the difference in these two stories. Here's their statements. Zechariah's statement is, is in the middle of verse 18. I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Period. Like, that's it. I've, I've breezed past the, the how. Now I'm just telling you the reality. I know you're angel Gabriel. You came sent from the Lord. But let me tell you how it works down here, bub, in the way of, like, you know, it's a wonderful life. You know, money comes in pretty handy down here. So Gabriel shows up, and he doesn't take that kind of nicely. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then the first words are like, I am Gabriel in response to that. He says, because you don't believe me, you're going to be able to say a word for months. Have fun with that, all right? So that's his statement in, in response. Now let's look at Mary's statement, and it's found in verse 38. So she has one question and also then this statement. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. That's a huge difference in those two stories with that statement, right? Because on one hand, we have Zechariah's statement, and it just oozes with unbelief. Though he's a priest in the line of Aaron, when God shows up, it's almost like he didn't believe he really existed. I mean, why be a priest and go into the temple, into the special place where people go to meet God and light incense, if when God shows up, your faith suddenly becomes false? Like, why do that? Why do all those rituals and all those traditions just to have God show up and then question him? 
Mary's response, however, is quite different. She simply says that she's the Lord's servant. May it be as the angel Gabriel had said. And that needs to be our attitude as we hope and as we wait and as we search for the Savior. We need to be servants, to be stewards of this special time, not the other way around. The presence and the gifts, when the families aren't there to serve us, we are there to serve the gospel, the only reason for Christmas to them. Because some of us, while searching, are in reality, uh, just like Zechariah, if we take time and, and walk a day in someone else's shoes, we might see how apparent that could be, but we feel like just Zechariah, we're going through these rituals, right? Shop for a tree, pick a tree, argue about a tree, pay for the tree, put up the tree, clean up after the tree, water the tree, oh, finally, go to church. All right. We shop for presents. We pick some presents. We put back presents that don't fit the budget. We wrap the presents. We put the presents under the tree, and maybe we go to church. We test thousands of tiny, small, infinite, annoying light bulbs. Right? We throw out the lights that just don't work or just frustrate you enough that you don't even want to care if they work or not. They're just fine in the garbage. You put lights on the house. You put lights on the tree. Maybe you have, maybe one of those people that has the giant blow-up inflatable arm-waving inflatable Santa in your front yard. Maybe that's you guy. But you go through these routines, and then, and then maybe you go to church. We attend family parties and work parties and parties for parties and kids' holiday performances and shows and prism concerts, and maybe we go to church. And we finally open presents, and we go to grandma's, and we see family. Maybe some family we like and some family we don't. And we eat a huge meal with too much food. And then clean up every mess we've made in the last month. And for what? Just to return half the presents you got with a gift receipt? Because they didn't like, like, it wasn't really what you wanted. Or it was like the halfway version of what was on the list. Or maybe you just put everything, shove it all back up in the attic just to pull it out on November 26, 2016. You can check that date. I did. It's the Saturday after Thanksgiving next year. Gentlemen, a lot of us are going to be busy pulling everything back out we just put back up so maybe we're like Zechariah we're just going through these rituals and mindlessly traversing the traditions and believing in God but not actually expecting him to show up now this is one of the many reasons why the story of the birth of John the Baptist prepares us to meet Jesus once again and thousands of years later in miraculous, individual, specific ways, he is getting us ready to meet Jesus. He is preparing the way. And just like he says later, uh, John the Baptist, when he's walking around, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, and it says this, I'm a voice of one calling in the desert, saying, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. He says, I'm the one, I'm calling out in the desert. Say, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley will be filled in. Every hole in your life can be satisfied by Jesus. Every mountain and hill made low. Jesus humbles us. 
takes away our ego and makes the servants out of the strong. He says, the crooked road shall become straight. When we walk with Jesus, he straightens out our lives. He says, the rough way's smooth because Jesus wants to walk with us in life to make the tough times not tough anymore. And he says, and all mankind will see God's salvation. And it's here. Hope is born for us anew this Christmas season. And thanks to John preparing a way, we have that way. Through Zechariah's story and analyzing, let's not just go through the rituals and the traditions mindlessly just putting up the routines of Christmas without taking a step back to analyze. Like little kids, well, let's back up a little bit. Back up, okay, let's back up in the video. Maybe we just need to take that step back and like, whoa, we need to approach this story with fresh eyes, with an open heart, and look at it from a completely different perspective. Because it's not about these rituals and traditions of this holiday season. They have a purpose. And we can't go through this Christmas season without expecting God to actually show up. Let's be like Mary who simply said, I am your servant. May it be as you have said. So let's do something together. Let's expect this Christmas season to be different, to be unique, to be special. We can expect that, right? Why not? Let's expect our searching for a Savior, unlike Zechariah, to actually end in finding one. Let's expect God to really and powerfully show up in our lives this Christmas time. Let's say, Lord, we are your servants. May it be as you have said. So Jesus, come once again into our lives. Let's pray.